Hello again. I pray that you are all staying safe, healthy, and joyful. Uh, for my own part, I I got to say that I'm I'm feeling a, a little bit weird uh, today. Uh, driving down to the church to do the recording, it was very eerie uh, with, with the smoke in the air and the ash that was all over my car. Um, yeah, very weird and a bit scary. So uh, I think we all need to pray, you know, keep the uh, firefighters in prayer, keep the people who are being evacuated due to these fires, keep them in prayer. Uh, I have friends and relatives who are, who are close to some of these fires, and I'm sure that some of you also have that. And, and, it's, and pray that... Uh, that God could do a mighty work. Uh, pray for rain. Pray for rain. Pray for cooler temperatures. And, uh, yeah. So that, that's all. I, I just wanted to, to mention that because I, you know, it rattled me. So I'm, I'm up here ready to tape the message and I'm feeling a bit rattled. So I, I just felt the need to get that, get that off my heart. But anyway, it will be business as usual, I hope, from, from here on. I promised last week that we would be starting a book study today into the book of Philippians. Now, it's not a large book, uh, but as they uh, would say on TV, it's packed with vitamins. You know, it's a personal favorite of mine, and it's my hope that as we go through it together, that it will uh, become a, a favorite of yours as well, if it isn't already. So, I, I hope that you all have your Bibles ready, uh, but first, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word with my friends. I, I pray that your spirit works in my heart to give clarity and meaning to the words that I speak. Lord, I am humbled by your grace, strengthened by your faithfulness, and encouraged by your trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, the book of Philippians is one of the most beloved books in Scripture. Uh, and although, the, although it's only four chapters long, it, it overflows with, with joy and, and thanksgiving. And as we will see, it, it absolutely deserves a nickname. And it's been called the Epistle of Joy. And this is especially notable when we take into consideration that Paul was under house arrest when he wrote this letter. That's right. This little joy-filled book was written by someone who was sheltering in place. The letter to the Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul sometime between 60 to 62 A.D. Uh, most scholars uh, would agree that Paul was under house arrest at this time, uh, but there is some disagreement as to where and to how he was under arrest. Well, after studying all of the options, I believe uh, that the letter was written in Rome, as described in Acts chapter 28. See, where Paul was when he wrote the letter, it, it's not nearly as important as to why he wrote the letter, and and who were the people that he was writing to. We will begin by addressing that latter question. Who were 
the Philippians. Well, the Philippians are people who live in the city of Philippi. You know, Philippi is located in Macedonia. Uh, it was an ancient kingdom located in northeastern Greece. It was named after Philip II, king of Macedon, who founded the city in 356 BC. Philip II is probably best known as being the father of Alexander the Great. Well, as a result of being defeated by the Romans in the Third Macedonian War, yeah, it, it took them three times, but in the third go-around, they were defeated by Rome, and, and Macedonia became part of the Roman Empire. This happened in, in 167 B.C. Well, the Romans wasted no time in establishing a new order, and, and by 168 B.C., Macedonia had been divided up into four districts. Philippi was located in the first of these districts. And Philippi uh, makes the news again in 42 B.C. when, when Mark Antony and Octavian uh, defeated Brutus and Cassius in the Battle of Philippi. Brutus and Cassius, you re may remember, were the, uh, the two guys responsible for killing Julius Caesar. Well, apparently that, that battle was a pretty gnarly one because uh, Octavian had to completely rebuild the city in 31 B.C. Octavian didn't just rebuild Philippi, though. He made it a Roman colony, and he placed retired Roman soldiers there and made it a Roman outpost. And he also gave it the highest privilege that was obtainable by a Roman provincial municipality, uh, the Ius Italicum, or Italian law. What that meant was that if a person were standing on a street in Philippi, it was as if they were standing on the streets of Rome. Uh, they were allowed to own and buy and sell property and, and to maintain the right to bring civil lawsuits. Uh, they were also exempt from the poll tax and land taxes. Also, and probably most important, uh, anyone born in, in Philippi was automatically a Roman citizen. And this is exactly how Paul had been granted his Roman citizenship. See, although he, he was a, a Jew by birth, he was born in the city of Tarsus, a, a city that had been declared a free city under that Ius Italicum. So when, when Paul was born, he was automatically a Roman citizen. Well, when Paul arrives in Philippi around 49 AD. It's a hustling, bustling city. It's a pretty good-sized urban center. It was at a mixed population, uh, primarily Jews and Greeks. And the, the predominant language was Greek, even though the official language was supposed to be Latin. The church in Philippi was founded by Paul on his second missionary journey. In the book of Acts, we read that, that Paul had a vision in the night, a, a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia begging for help. So, being the, the good apostle that he is, Paul immediately headed out to Philippi. Well, as soon as Paul gets to Philippi, he starts evangelizing. He starts preaching the gospel. Well, as a result... Philippi becomes the first city 
on European soil to hear the gospel. And it, it naturally follows then that the church that was founded in Philippi was the first church planted on European soil. And I think it's probably because, uh, you know, Philippi was, was the, the first, you know, the, the, uh, the first child, the oldest son, if you were. I think that was part of the reason why they were so near and dear to Paul's heart. The love and the affection that he feels is undeniable right from the very start of his letter. So why don't you all turn to the, the book of Philippians, if you've got your Bible there. And we're going to start right in, in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You will notice that Paul introduces himself and establishes his credentials as a servant of Christ Jesus. The use of this term is of particular significance uh, compared to the other self-descriptions that Paul uses in, in some of his other letters. This one is remarkable in its simplicity, referring to himself as just a, a servant of Christ. It, it implies that that Paul's just one of the guys. He, he's right there in the trenches with them, uh, you know, sharing in the Lord's work. And this is in a very sharp contrast to uh, a description that, that he provides when he has to deliver a rebuke or a, or a correction. And, and on these occasions, Paul would use a, a longer descriptor for himself. You know, and it's kind of like how uh, our parents would use our full name uh, when we were in trouble. Right. So James Edward Swanson, when I heard that, I knew that things were not going to be good. For example, in his letter to the Colossians, in which he addresses reports of heresy within the church, he refers to himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And when he wrote his first letter to the Corinthians, uh, to address problems of factions that, that had emerged in the church, as well as reports of moral irregularities, he used a, a similar language, referring to himself as Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. And do you all see what, what's going on there? Uh, 
He wanted to make sure that the readers knew who he was, but more importantly, by what authority he spoke before he started in with the bad news. The point here is that Paul's humble and simple description of himself as just a servant of Christ establishes a kinder and a gentler tone that will be evident throughout the letter. Uh, And he also makes it a point to mention Timothy. Uh, Timothy is with him at this time, and uh, Timothy was a young missionary who traveled with Paul and who probably transcribed the letter uh, as Paul dictated it to him. The people in Philippi, they were well acquainted with Timothy. Timothy had been a part of that original missionary team who brought the gospel to their city. So then Paul goes on to mention three separate groups of believers. First, he extends greetings to the saints in Christ Jesus. And this is a common designation for Christians that Paul used in his letters. The word saint uh, translates literally as holy people, and it probably had its roots in the Old Testament, uh, specifically in Exodus, where, where God referred to the Israelites as a, quote, holy nation. And also in Leviticus, uh, where God instructed the people to, quote, be holy because I am holy. It is also worth noting that Paul describes them as being in Christ. The implication being that those who believe in Jesus have been united with him. That the new life that they have been born into is a sharing of his resurrection life. Secondly, Paul mentions the overseers and the deacons. Now, there's no real consensus among scholars as to why these two groups were singled out. If there is, I I wasn't able to to find it. But some have expressed the, the belief that these two groups had been responsible for sending a gift to Paul. And that was his way of acknowledging their generosity. Okay, moving on to verse 2, we look at the greeting that Paul used, where he, uh, he uses grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the greeting itself is a standard one used by Paul. It is the very same one that originally appeared in 1 Corinthians, and then it was repeated in 2 Corinthians, Romans, Philemon, and Ephesians. Gordon Fee uh, in his amazing commentary on Philippians, referred to Paul's greetings as, and I quote, a marvelous example of Paul's turning into gospel everything that he set his hands to, end quote. The, the traditional greeting in, in the ancient Greek world was kairain, which literally means rejoice. However, w- when they used it in a, in a salutation, it simply meant greetings. Well, in, in Paul's hands, the word kairain became kairis, which means grace. And adding on to that, Paul, Paul put the traditional Jewish greeting of shalom, or peace. Grace to you and peace. And after reading that, I, I couldn't help but be reminded of, of 1 Corinthians 1, 
from 1 Corinthians 9, uh, where Paul talks about being all things to all men, so that he may be able to save some through the sharing of the gospel. I think that his greeting is a perfect example of that. This is Paul finding a way to be inclusive, even in something as simple as saying hi. Grace to you and peace. Now, the order of the words is also significant. The the phrase, grace to you and peace, that phrase appears in many Bible translations as grace and peace to you. In, In Paul's writings, however, that there is an invariable order to these words. It is always grace to you and peace. And it's very likely that there's a good reason for that. See, grace is what is given to us from God through Christ, and peace is what results from that gift. The word order is a picture of that natural outflowing. Uh, The sacrifice at Calvary's cross, well, that's the grace. That has made it possible for us to, to be the recipient of a lasting peace that extends beyond our earthly lifetimes. Grace to you and peace. Now, in verse 3, Paul starts his thank yous. Verse 3 reads, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul gave thanks always. You know, every time that he prayed, the, the idea of giving thanks in, in every one of our prayers doesn't really require a whole lot of uh, further exposition or any references to the Greek text. The translation is rendered perfectly. Always, it means always. And every, it means every. Isn't that a, a wonderful way to, to let someone know how much you care for them? To, to let them know that you thank God for them. Every time you pray, you know, a a few years ago, my wife, Tina, gave me this little clippy kind of thing that hooks on the visor in the car uh, so that when you pull the visor down, you read uh, it was a little plaque and it had those verses on it. So it's a really sweet thing just to be reminded that that someone is thinking about you and praying for you, and giving thanks for you. Praying for his friends brought joy to Paul. In verse 4 we read, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Now, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that this letter is called the Epistle of Joy, and, and this is the first of 13 times that Paul will use either the word joy or rejoice. That's a significant amount uh, when you consider the book is only four chapters long. But Paul is right on the money here. Uh, praying should be a joyful experience for all of us. It, it is an absolute privilege to be able to go before the creator of the universe and talk to him whether it's in adoration or confession, thanksgiving or supplication. Talking to the Lord is a joyful experience that is not, I repeat, it is not afforded to everyone. 
I can't imagine how these past few months, uh, right up to today, I cannot imagine how they would have been had I not been able to talk with Jesus. And I'm sure that you all feel the, the very same way. See, Paul gave thanks for his friends, and he gave thanks for what God was doing in the lives of his friends. Let me read verses 5 and 6. Paul gives thanks because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, because of their partnership in the gospel, Paul knew that his friends were living transformed lives. And he knew that that Jesus would continue to transform them. Every one of us here at Blossom Valley Bible Church who claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, we're on the very same path. We have had that good work started in us that the Lord will faithfully bring to completion. In the meantime, it's our duty and privilege to pray for each other in good times and in bad times. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. You know, one of the blessings that, that I've received uh, during the lockdown has come in the form of posts from my friends on Facebook. You know, little messages that they've, they put up on Facebook. And since, since March, uh, I have learned that, that a very good friend of mine, uh, who teaches at a private Christian school in Oregon had finally received his master's degree in, in education. You know, and it felt good to be able to share, uh, with that, to share in that joy with him over that achievement. It also felt good to know that he was going to be using that, that degree, that, that achievement. He was going to be using that for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. I've also watched some of my friends here at, at church that have been led by the Spirit to step outside of their own comfort zone in order to serve this church. You know, as I've mentioned before, and I will probably mention as long as I do this, that getting in, in front of the camera and, and speaking is not a natural, easy thing for most of us. But, but what we have been blessed by people in this church, uh, brothers and sisters, who, who were willing to set their own feelings aside and, and be obedient to God's calling. This is praiseworthy stuff, people. And I'm so grateful to see God moving in the lives of my friends. Paul gave thanks for his friends because he loved them. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul loved his friends. There is no two ways about this. His expression of, of joy over the very thought of them, it makes it perfectly clear. However, Paul, being Paul, uh, feels the need to justify his feelings and to make his case, so to speak. So, to that end, he offers 
three realities that justify and make it right that he should feel that way, that he should feel the way that he does. Firstly, as we mentioned uh, earlier, he loved them. He absolutely, unequivocally, without reservation, loved them. He held them in his heart. Secondly, he mentions that they are partakers of grace. And that refers to the fact that, that they're brothers and sisters with him in receiving the grace of the gospel. Many of them had been partners with him since his very first visit, supporting his ministry through through prayer and through material gifts. And lastly, Paul is grateful for their continued support during his imprisonment. Despite his circumstances, he's, he's looking forward to defending the gospel when he is eventually called to stand before the Roman authorities. I believe that Paul took great comfort, because I would in that situation. He took great comfort knowing that his friends were with him in spirit. And I'm sure that we would all be in agreement over the value of knowing that we're not alone, especially when we're going through some kind of trial. And in Paul's case, a, a trial was going to be literally true. Paul tells his friends that that he yearns for them with the affection of Jesus Christ. Affection, I found, was was an interesting translational choice for the Greek word that, that's used here. You know, if any of you happen to be reading from a from a King James version uh, of the Bible, then you've probably noticed exactly what I'm talking about. The Greek word that is used here was splanknois. It literally means entrails. Yeah. <laughs> and in the uh, King James Version, it's translated as bowels. See, in the ancient world, uh, psychological aspects of the human body, you know, our thoughts, uh, feelings, and emotions, things that we now know are, are centered in the mind. Well, back in those days, they didn't know where they came from, so they would just assign them to parts of the body. Well, in this case, love was literally thought to be a gut feeling. Well, over time, translators began uh, to replace the word bowels with the word heart. So in some translations, you will see the heart of Jesus Christ. Eventually, it got to the point where they didn't use any body parts at all and just put the name of the feeling in place of the word. In this case, they used the word affection. So now we get to uh, Jim's personal opinion part of this. My personal opinion is that the word affection, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really convey the full force of Christ's love that is flowing through Paul. I know it's a small thing, but but we should all be aware that, that there's a qualitative difference between affection and love, especially the love that was demonstrated on Calvary's cross. Let me read verses 9 to 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, 
so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul prayed for his friends in two ways. First, Paul prayed that their love would come to maturity. Now, it's clear in uh, Paul's writings in, in Galatians 5, when he speaks about the fruit of the Spirit, that Paul considered love to be the foremost indicator of a Spirit-filled life. Now, if there's any doubts that he had that attitude, I would refer you to 1 Corinthians 13, where uh, he concludes a very, very well-known discourse on love with the following summation. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Given his feelings, uh, then, it's no surprise that Paul prays for love to abound in the lives of his friends. To abound. He knows, and so should we, that love uh, can cover a multitude of sins. Love can prevent petty disagreements and, and personality clashes from becoming a threat to to unity and shared purpose. Paul also prayed that the lives of his friends would bring glory to God. You know, Paul recognizes the need for discernment. Uh, When he refers to approving what is excellent, Paul brings a very important component into the love that he calls them to demonstrate. Not only is he reinforcing the notion of testing every spirit that we read about in John's gospel, but he is exhorting them to to seek the highest and most worthy objects of their love. It is said, and I agree, that good is the enemy of best. Good is the enemy of best. In other words, we often settle for something that is not the best because we have allowed ourselves to be satisfied with less. Now, I am sure that that most of you are familiar with the Consumer Reports magazine, right? Every month they publish articles that rate products, everything from automobiles to frozen yogurt. And they have ratings that are based on a combined score that they derive from multiple metrics that are that are custom tailored to each product. So when we use that rating system that's provided by Consumer Reports, uh, that's when we stand the best chance of getting the best product for our particular needs. But when it comes to spiritual matters, Consumer Reports magazine is not going to be too much help. To determine where and how to focus our attentions in that realm, we rely upon the Word of God. And and we also rely on what we have been taught through reliable sources. Reliable sources. Paul wanted his friends to aim high, to refuse to be satisfied by anything less than that which was ultimately worthy. Paul desired that his friends be pure in the eyes of God. The word pure is the same one that is used to describe a metal that contains no other alloys. Uh, but in the moral sense, it, it means to be sincere 
and without hidden motives. The result of, of maintaining that purity is that because of Jesus, we are able to be blameless before the Lord. The, the grace of the gospel is free, but it isn't cheap. The gospel is free, but it isn't cheap. We still have to do the footwork. We, we have to, to live in a way that, that demonstrates our recognition and appreciation for the value of the gift that we have been given. When our hearts are pure and our focus is on the highest things, we'll enjoy what Paul calls the fruits of Christ's righteousness. That is, we'll have a, a righteous character and, and we'll live a life that, that demonstrates to the world what matters most to God. By doing so, we stay the course and we aim for the ultimate goal, which is to glorify God. See, Paul, Paul knew, and, and so should we, that, that the goal of the Christian life is to bring glory to God. It's not about us. It's about God. The end goal of our lives is, is not to achieve what we want or to achieve what makes us happy. We live to please God and, and to do everything in our power to ensure that our lives reflect well on him. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus from Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So, what can we take away from what we've been talking about today? Well, believe it or not, I, I actually have a couple of things. Well, to start with, we should all be thankful for other Christians. God has given us an amazing family here at Blossom Valley Bible Church. We are all partners in the gospel together, partners in the gospel that, that God has brought together for his glory. Not only do we have our, our local family, but we have brothers and sisters around the world spreading the good news of Jesus from India to Turkey, from Papua New Guinea to South Africa. Our, our global outreach partners are hard at work in the mission field, bringing the truth of God's word to the nations. Our thanksgiving should extend to the church universal as well. It is the Lord's church that we serve, and, and we should be grateful for every person that has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. We should be delighted by anything that delights the Lord. We pray for our brothers and our sisters with joy. We pray with joy. As I mentioned earlier, prayer is a privilege, and we should be excited by the opportunity to pray for our brothers and sisters. A great way to end any conversation is to ask, what can I be praying for you about? Now, I know that we shouldn't end a sentence with a preposition, but in this case, I think we're going to be okay. What can I be praying for you about? On the flip side, we have to be able to share our prayer needs with others. When we are able to share our needs with others, at least three things are going to happen. Number one, we will feel better knowing that we're not alone 
and that someone else is interceding for us. Number two, the person praying for us, that person is blessed by the opportunity to pray. And, and three, our hearts, they become knitted closer together and, and we'll be that much stronger because of it. I know that many of you have been praying for me. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. This was was new territory for me, the, the whole video recording preaching thing. Uh, but your your encouragement and your prayers has made it so much easier now. So now when I do it, I'm I'm actually more joyful than than terrified. And and that's a huge blessing. So thank you. Now I spoke earlier about hearing good news from my friends, hearing how God was working in their lives. Now, I am sure that all of you can, can bring to mind at least one, at least one good thing that you have heard since the lockdown. One instance where, where God has moved in the life of a friend or a family member or your own life. Cherish that moment. Praise God for his faithfulness and his provision and pray that he continues to move in that person's life. Perhaps God has done something amazing in your life. If that is the case, please share it. Now, now is not the time to be sitting on good news, people. We can all use as much good news as we can get. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll even start. I'll even start with some good news. About a week or so into the shelter-in-place order, Tina and I received a text message from our son. Well, attached to the message was a blurry black-and-white photograph that, that was kind of it was kind of hard to decipher at first. You're kind of turning the phone around, trying to figure out what it was. And then, as we looked closer, we discovered that the photo was an ultrasound image. An ultrasound image of what will be our first grandchild, a little baby girl. Well, to say that Tina and I are excited over the prospect of being grandparents, that's a colossal understatement. Uh, and just to let you know, our, our son's name is Brad, and his wife's name is Leslie. So, you know, we would appreciate all the prayers. Now, during this time, especially, it, it is important to, to pray for growth. Growth in the knowledge and in the will of God. You know, unfortunately, there, there's a tendency to, to believe that, that because we're not engaged in business as usual, that God is taking a break as well. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, we may find ourselves in a situation where we're able to devote more time to seeking God's will for us. Take advantage of this. Read, you know, read your Bible, pray through the scriptures and, and actively pursue God to discover what, what he wants from you in, in this particular season of life. You may be surprised at where he leads you. You know, I know that that I certainly was. And finally, we glorify God in everything that we do. None of us 
chose to be in the situation that we're in right now. None of us wanted to spend the past few months in our homes, unable to meet with friends and family. But this is where we are. And all we have is a choice in how to handle it. Our circumstances don't define us. How we choose to react to those circumstances, that's what defines us. We can shut down and, and we can surrender to the feelings of frustration and resentment and, and fear and uncertainty. Or, and this is a big, big or, or we can be like Paul, who, even in the most dire of situations, was able to bring glory to God. As we'll read later on in our study, Paul absolutely refused to have God play second fiddle to his own discomforts. How we live our lives is an advertisement for the things that we value. Hopefully some of you will remember, uh, you will remember this from last week's message. The Christian life properly lived should point people towards God. We are God's PR firm. It is our duty to present him uh, to the world in the most favorable light possible. This is critically important today. There are so many competing voices, so many vocal individuals and groups that are seeking to undermine God's authority through misrepresentation and sometimes through outright lies. This is the time to test every spirit, the time to take everything that, that we hear and read and compare it to the truth of God's word. Put it up alongside the word of God. You keep what is worthy, and you throw the rest into the burn pile. Don't settle for good when you know how to find the best. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the joy of the gospel. We thank you for the lives that have been transformed by your love. We pray that by your grace, we may continue to seek the highest and most worthy objects for our attention. Lord, I pray now for the continued safety and health of all my partners in the gospel, both near and far, as they strive tirelessly to bring light to this world. I pray joyfully in the knowledge of your goodness and mercy for my church. Hold us close, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And as always, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he be gracious unto each and every one of you. May he turn his face to make it shine upon you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I love you all. I miss you all. And I hope that you continue to stay safe, healthy, and joyful. Bye for now. Our salvation is secure because the laying down of Jesus' life on a cross for us is considered sufficient and full payment in the Father's eyes for our sins when we put our hope and our trust in him. 
Listen to what Colossians 1.15 says. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. This is what we remember when we come to communion this morning and to express our gratitude to Jesus for what he's done. But let's take a moment and share that with him. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's share this together. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the many. Let's take the cup together. Father, thank you that you put such a high price on us that you were willing to send your only son for us to atone for our sins. Father, it's in him that we put our trust and our faith. It's in him that we have security and the hope of eternal life. And we're so grateful, Father. Thank you for this and all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh God, once again. We come into your presence with expectancy in our hearts. God, we know you're going to bless us. So we lift our hands in the sanctuary and we give you glory and honor and praise. Come on. 